You guys can be seated. Um, <clears throat> so this is a pretty big year for me. Uh, in the spring, I will be celebrating my 20th high school reunion. Big, well, yeah, just 20, you're right. Uh, I didn't think I'd gotten here uh, until this week. I'm driving Libby to school, and she goes, Daddy, you're old. She just kind of volunteered the information. Uh, I said, honey, it's, uh, it's a bit, you know, subjective there. I'm older than you, yes. But I feel pretty young. Um, I feel like I've got a decent handle on what the kids are saying and doing these days. However, this summer, it's come to my attention that I'm not quite as with it as I once thought. Um, as I've been hanging out with our students, and particularly at uh, Young Life Camp this summer, there's some things that I learned, some new words and some idioms. And so I would love for us to have a, a collective shared learning experience um, wherein I can interpret much of what you're seeing on Facebook by the teenagers, okay? So we're going to go through a few phrases and idioms of what the kids are saying these days. Throw shade. Okay, so this has nothing to do with the sun or a tree. This, what this means, the translation is, is a dirty look. So let me use it in a sentence. Uh, Melissa just threw shade at Ian. They must be fighting. This is throwing shade. It's a dirty look, okay? Gucci, not clothing anymore. Gucci means cool, good, so let me use it in a sentence. Yo, that car is Gucci, okay? <laughs> now here's a completely new one as of yesterday for me. Tope. This is a convergence of totally and dope. Together, tope. Let me use it in a sentence. Yo, that car is tope. Um, bay. It's not, a, it's, not, it's not a thing, Margaret? No? Okay, so it's already done. All right, don't use that one. It's already over. See, it just changes so quickly. It just changes so quickly. So, bay, not B-A-Y, but B-A-E, um, it's a term of endearment. It could mean boyfriend, girlfriend, best friend, so let me use it in a sentence. Matty K is my bay. He's a great friend, okay? So, yeah, if you ever see that on Facebook, that's what it means. Um, this last one, I think, is really profound. It's, I see you. So, let me use it in a sentence. Brian? I see you. Now, what I don't mean by that is that my optic nerve is flipping what I'm seeing, this handsome young man with curly hair, and relaying it to something in my brain that Tom could tell me how it works. What it means is, Brian, the thing that you're putting your hand to, the project that you're working on, the thing that you're investing your life into, I understand it and I think it's good and right. Another way of of interpreting it is, I understand you, and I know you now. I see you. I see you. And in our gospel reading this morning, as we're marching through the book of John, we come to a passage where Jesus sees far more than meets the eye. When he calls these disciples, we see that there's a pretty simple formula, but that underlying all of that is Jesus seeing way more than meets the eye. The formula for discipleship is this. Come and see, come and be, 
and then help others see and be. Or the abbreviated version is CB Hospi. CB Hospi. They're, they don't love it, see? I'm just, I'm, apparently I'm not with it anymore. Um, would you guys, if you've got a physical Bible, um, if you don't have one that you brought, these blue Bibles here, we're in page 886. We could have just gone home after Matt read, because that was beautiful. Thank you, brother. So we're in verse 35. And what we're going to see is the first stage of discipleship, or uh, what it means to be as a disciple, is simply seeing Jesus. So disciples see who Jesus is. Verse 35. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. So a little bit of a background here. John the writer is talking about John the Baptist, the baptizer, the crazy uh, preacher out in the wilderness, the guy with the camel hair coat, the guy that takes the whole 30 diet to like infinity level, right? Like no dairy, no whatever else you can't have in whole 30, no meat, just bugs and honey. Like, the dude just eats bugs and honey, right? So he's this really eccentric prophet out in the wilderness preaching the coming kingdom of God. So John, the baptizer, he's waiting because he's previously been told by the Holy Spirit these words. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So John the Baptist has been waiting for this coming king. And we see him. This is the moment that he's been waiting for. Behold, the Lamb of God. That's how we read it. But it was probably more like this. Guys, guys, there he is. This is the one. This is the one. This is the coming king, the one that was prophesied about. Here he is. Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, in our passage, I think one thing we need to look at is that identity is key here. What John could have said was, Behold, the son of Mary and Joseph. Behold, the carpenter from Nazareth. But instead, he rightly sees Jesus for who he is, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. You see, these earliest followers of Jesus saw him correctly. And they declared their belief in him. They said, he is the Lamb of God. He is the Messiah. He is the one whom Moses and the prophets wrote about. So for disciples, the first thing that they do is they see Jesus for who he is. And here's how that worked for me. Uh, When I was 12, I was walking uh, to Walgreens across the street from my uh, apartment complex with my buddy Travis. We're going to go get Dr. Peppers. Um, and when you're 12, you can drink three cups of liquid sugar and not die from it. Uh, can't do that anymore because I'm old, as my daughter says. But we're going to go get Dr. Peppers. And it's the strip center. Um, it's kind of an L. And the, mar- the marquee spot is Walgreens. About halfway down the long side of the L, a guy opens up this glass door and says, hey, boys, do y'all want to come play basketball? Sure. Why not? We walk in, new kids, 
girls, basketball, what's not to love when you're 12? And Jeff Morrow was a Nazarene youth pastor, and he must have been quickened by the Spirit to open the door. And it was the first time I'd ever been invited to church. And I played basketball, and I guess he talked, and we probably sang some songs. But I was invited into church for the first time, and then I kept going. Me and Travis kept going, and then um, went to youth camp that summer. And I heard about this man, Jesus, and I rightly saw him for who he was, and I responded in faith. So there was this moment for me where I'd been hearing about him, but there had to become this, there had to come this place where I rightly identified him as the Lamb of God who took away my sin. And as followers of Jesus, uh, we get this immense privilege of getting to perform, uh, it's really hokey, I couldn't come up with anything better, but like spiritual LASIK on people. Like we get to help them see in 2020 high def who Jesus is. Some of the ways we do that at Grace are snack packs for kids. We get to enter into um, the families of some food insecure children to show them that Jesus looks different than they probably thought he did. Um, A month ago, we held a joint uh, venture with St. Andrews for National Night Out, and we gave away $5 vouchers for Cheesy Jane's, and we had uh, Kona Ice and an amazing band. And we did that to invite our neighbors, right? Uh, Just in exactly this time next week, we're going to have a tent outside as a means of us stepping out of our church walls to allow people to feel more comfortable maybe, that they might hear and see who Jesus is. Um, We do this in our Matthew parties through our life groups, right? And the reason why we're doing this is not to just serve people to serve them. We serve people as a church and as Jesus followers to earn the right to show them who Jesus really is. We get to serve and love people to show them who Jesus really is. So the first step in becoming a disciple is seeing Jesus correctly. The second step, we'll pick it up in verse 37, is simply being with him. And the two disciples heard him say this, speaking of John's testimony, and they said, or I'm sorry, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Where are you staying? So imagine with me, um, we've got these disciples hanging around the most famous man in Israel, John the Baptist. He's quirky, but he's real famous, okay? And he says, that's the one. And these two dudes just start walking, right? Like, they're, peace. They just start walking to follow the Messiah. So imagine there's, don't imagine I'm Jesus because that's probably bad. Um, They're following in his footsteps literally. And he turns. He says, what is it that you want? What is it that you are seeking? Now, remember, this is the Messiah. This is the God of the universe This is the one full of grace and truth. And these guys know who he is. My first thought to ask Jesus in flesh is not, hey, 
where are you sleeping tonight? Right? Like, that's not my, that's not my go-to. My go-to is like, can you do a miracle real quick? Can you, can you prove John's claim about yourself? Can you tell me more? And yet they say, where are you staying? Where do you live, Jesus? And I think that their question of Jesus may be the most profound thing that we'll see this morning. They say, Jesus, where are you staying? Translation, we want to do life with you. We want to do life with you. We want to see and hear and know you. And so Jesus graciously says, sure, come on. We've got the whole afternoon. We've got dinner ready. We're going to hang out. We're going to talk. I can't wait to get to know you guys, to hear your story. I can't wait for us to be in relationship. And so these disciples want to be with Jesus. That's the second step in discipleship is simply to be. Simply to be. And if we could just pause here for a little bit. Um, Jesus, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, the King of the universe, has just come out of the wilderness. He knows what he's here for. He knows that he's ushering in the kingdom of God. He knows he's about to start a three-year ministry. And the first thing that he does is he invites two guys over for dinner. And I think what we see there is the incredible kindness and uh, the, relation, uh, the relational nature of our God is that he wants to dine with them. He wants to know who they are. Um, have you ever had a rich or a famous person invite you to dinner? Um, I haven't. Uh, the closest... I don't know. Maybe you have. I haven't. Um, it just hasn't happened yet. So the closest that I've ever gotten is uh, when my beautiful, smart, talented, gorgeous wife uh, got me tickets, got us tickets to see John Foreman last year, uh, unbeknownst to me. And so we, uh, we show up at this concert, and John Foreman is the lead singer of Switchfoot. It's a Christian band. Um, he's got super long blonde hair. He's a surfer. He's super cool. Um, I'm kind of fanboy right now. Um, he is playing this, you know, his set, and about halfway through he goes, hey guys, if y'all have any song requests, just grab a cocktail napkin and write the song title down and just pass it up. So she grabs a cocktail napkin, and she writes something to this effect. Hey John, my husband is a huge fan and also a surfer. Uh, It would mean a ton to him if I flew him out to San Diego would you surf with him? Like, spend an afternoon and just surf with him. I'll pay for it. We'll make it happen. Um, Here's his number and his name. Yours, Katie. So, we send it up, right? We send it up. You guys want to hear something awesome? He never texted. (laughs) Like, no call, no text. Just keeps going around the country playing songs for people and surfing, right? Like, heartbreak. John Foreman never called me. 
But for days, I'm not kidding, it was like junior high, I'm, I'm watching my phone and like, every text that comes through is like, oh, it's just my dad. Oh, it's just Katie. I wish it was, sorry, sorry. Right, but like there was this eager expectation, John Foreman's going to text me and we're going to go surfing together. And guys, do you see what's happening in this scene? The literal God of the universe turns around and says, let's have dinner. Come to my house. I want to know you. I want to be with you. So the invitation of Jesus is clear. He's saying, come and be. Come and be with me. Um, as Matt has been doing this series, some journal questions for us this week. The first one is this. Are we taking the invitation to just be with him? Are you and I taking the invitation to just be with Jesus? Number two, or are we more focused on doing than being? Are we more focused on doing things for God than being with him? Because discipleship is being with Jesus, this personal, intimate, relational thing. And here's how that looks uh, for me. Um, I get to engage in prayer and worship throughout the week. Listening to worship albums uh, is a big way that I connect with the Lord. And so I try to do that quite a bit throughout the week. Time in the scripture, obviously. Um, trusted books that point me to Jesus in the right way. Um, I'm trying to get better at this, uh, carving out time for retreat and Sabbath and un unplugging from the matrix and like literally turning my phone off for a couple hours, which is terribly difficult for me. Um, but I've got to be honest, like this is really hard for me. This is something that I struggle with um, there's something inside of me and part of my brokenness and part of my uh, woundedness that doesn't believe Jesus really wants to hang out with me. I believe sincerely he wants to hang out with all of you. But there's something in my woundedness and my brokenness that it's like, ah, there's a lot more godly people than me that he'd probably rather talk to and that's my issue. That's my disbelief at what the scriptures are saying, right? And part of that for me is that I'm failing to do this third step of discipleship, which is remembering that we are seen by him. When I don't remember that he sees me, my woundedness comes up, and I'm afraid to approach and I could give you the background of where all that comes from, but that's really besides the point. The point is, is that I'm believing wrongly. I'm not seeing Jesus for who he really is. And so this third step is that Jesus sees us as we truly are. Okay, we see it in the scriptures with Andrew first. Jesus knew that Andrew was seeking relationship, so what does he do? He gives him relationship. We see with Peter that he calls him by name, knows who he is immediately, and then renames him. And then for the next three years, we see Jesus giving these like laser-focused, pinpointed words and actions 
to say, Peter, I love you. You're my son. Right? Then Nathaniel. Uh, there's something in Nathaniel that needed to, uh, like, has this sense of responsibility or something. Um, I can't speak for him, obviously, but, but Jesus speaks to it. And I love that Jesus speaks in three different ways in this gospel passage. He knows that he needs something, so he says, You are a true Israelite. There's no deceit in you. And for some reason, that speaks to Nathaniel. Um, other examples in the, the gospels, the woman at the well. Remember that story? Like, he knows every single thing about her. He knows exactly the right time to approach her. He knows he's setting this whole thing up. Why? To speak to her heart. She's changed forever because he knows her. Zacchaeus, we'll learn about soon. Jesus knew what he knew, and he also knew what he didn't know. And so Jesus fills in all the gaps for him as a means of showing him who he really is. The woman caught in adultery, Jesus knew that she didn't stand a chance. Jesus knew that she needed a man to stand up for her. And so her life has changed. You see, Jesus saw their identity and knew exactly what to do, and it's the same for us. And what this looks like, uh, what, what it's looked like historically for me is, um, I heard about Jesus when I was 12. Six months later, I'm at camp, and I see him for who he really is, and I respond in faith. And then I just went straight into evangelism. Um, when I was in high school, I had WWJD bracelets up to my elbows. I kid you not. I was passing them out left and right. Kids were getting saved like every week at Metropolitan Baptist Youth Group. Um, our youth group went from 50 to 300 in six months. Like there was straight up revival happening in Northwest Houston. And it was exciting and fun, and I got to be a part of it, and I was all up in the mix, me and my crew. And I got it wrong some level because I started to believe that this thing with God was so that I could do his bidding for him. Somewhere along the way, I got it backwards. I said, disciples point people to Jesus. But after a while of not remembering that he called me into relationship first, things started to get weird. And I started to lose connection. And I started to beat myself up, and shame started to fill. And all this bad stuff came because I forgot that he called me into relationship first. When I read um, John 10.10 10 and it talks about abundant life, I really think this is the hang-up for me at least, is that I fail to remember that he sees me, that he knows me, that he chose me, that he adopted me. Um, I got to see a really fun uh, thing this summer at camp. There is a, a high school girl that um, was hearing about Jesus all week um, she saw him correctly, and there was a moment on the lawn when um, her, her uh, young life leader and um, her were talking about Jesus and how all-in she was and what that was like. And um, when she saw Jesus correctly, she started to see herself 
correctly. There's this beautiful thing, right, when we understand our identity in Christ that you can't believe any longer that you're ugly because you're beautiful. You're a daughter of the king. Um, You can't believe any longer that you're weak or you don't have what it takes because you're a son of the king. And so when we get identity right, it changes our perception of our own identity. And for me, this is something I'm having to work on, um, getting healing prayer for it and reading great books, um, getting accountability for it, because I really believe this is so key to our walks with the Lord, is that we have to remember that we're seen, that He loves us just as we are. So my encouragement to us as a family is please don't skip this step. Please don't skip this step. So the last point is that disciples point others to Jesus. Disciples point others to Jesus. Verse 36, John the Baptist rightly points Andrew and John to Jesus. In verse 40, we see Andrew pointing his brother Peter to Jesus. Verse 45, Philip points Nathaniel to Jesus. Uh, A couple pages later, we're going to see in Acts 2 that Peter the one whom Jesus saw and changed his name, gets to point about 3,000 people to Jesus during Pentecost. And then those same 3,000 people get to form the first church in Jerusalem, the same church that Jesus prophesied would go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And, And here we are, right? So it goes John the Baptist, Andrew, Peter, Pentecost, Jerusalem church, Judean church, Sumerian church. We hop the Mediterranean. We're starting to go northwest through Europe. Then we go really far west when we cross the Atlantic. And the gospel has been moving west ever since because disciples point people to Jesus. This is how this works. Disciples point people to Jesus and Here we are. It's 2016. It's the day before Halloween. And we're sitting in a church in San Antonio, Texas, because John the Baptist pointed Andrew and John to Jesus. The most famous man at the time in Israel pointed to the king. That's what we get to do. As disciples of Jesus, we get to point people to the king of the universe. He is greater than we. He is greater than I. And that's what John says. So as we close, I want us to consider, prayerfully consider, some questions from our text. The first one is, have you seen Jesus correctly? In your heart of hearts, when you hear of Jesus, do you believe that he is the Messiah? Do you believe that he's the Pascal lamb that takes away the sin of the world? And if not, we'd love to talk to you about that. Um, Secondly, do you know that he's invited you into relationship first? This is the one that always trips me up. He's invited us into relationship first. Thirdly, do you believe that you're truly seen? 
Do you believe that he sees you and knows you and loves you? And if not, what's keeping you from that? What's keeping you from right belief there? Fifthly, who are you discipling? Because it seems to be the case from the scriptures that disciples point others to Jesus. So we need to look and say, who am I pointing to Jesus? Disciples, disciple. Um, Another question is, who's discipling you? It's how it's supposed to work. And so if you don't have anyone discipling you, please come talk to us. We'd love to get that worked out for you. And then lastly, as we move to the table, is there an obstacle that keeps you from making disciples? Is there something in your brokenness, your woundedness, that's keeping you from pointing others to Jesus? Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's insecurity. Whatever it is, I believe that the Lord wants to heal that.